friends, and welcome to another Cup of Joe podcast on this Friday, October the 20th. And wherever you are, whenever you are listening to this, I wish you God's grace. I wish you God's life. I wish you God's beauty. Uh, And thank you for being with me as we break open the Word of God for this 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time. I, uh, as always, I am grateful that you are, are along with me. The idea here is we're going to look at the first reading and we're going to look at the gospel. Now, it'll be interesting if you, if you listen to these. I had to sit with these a little while to see what is the thread. And the thread, at least what I see, um, isn't necessarily the, of, of one of depth, at least that I pulled out, uh, as often ties uh, the first reading in the gospel together, but it's something that it's kind of painfully obvious uh, once it came to me. And I'm like, Joe, you meatball, what what took you so long? For those new to the podcast, hey, welcome. Uh, Joe Zank, I am uh, 30 plus years in Catholic ministry and uh, currently am a hospice chaplain. And every Friday I try to drop the readings for the coming weekend so you can Prepare yourself before you go to Mass so you've already heard the Word of God and you can just let it rest upon you when you hear it again. Hear what the the priest or the deacon uh, gives us in the homily there to maybe uh, compound what you've already listened to God's voice within you uh, say to you through through this Word today. Uh, And as always, and and then I'll I'll stop, I promise. Um, When you listen to the Word, uh, somehow settle yourself and open yourself uh, in a way that will allow that spirit to penetrate your heart, your mind, your being. And when that spirit speaks to you, could be through a word, an idea, an image, a story, a vision, uh, something you've never heard before, grab onto that, allow, and just chew on it. Allow God to speak in that moment through that simple, simple way. Or God may use an entirely different way. However you deem God speaking, you follow that. So with that, let's uh, take a look. We're going to read, as I said, first reading of the gospel. First reading is out of Isaiah. So the prophet Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 1, and then verse 4 to 6. So verse 1, verse 4 to 6. Then we're going to go to Matthew, chapter 22, verses 15 to 21. So let's break open God's word for this coming weekend, this 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time, together. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I grasp, subduing nations before him and making kings run in his service opening doors before him and leaving the gates unbarred. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen one, I have called you by your name, giving you a title, though you knew me not. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. It is I who arm you, though you know me not so that toward the rising and the setting of the sun, people may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) 
It's so good, isn't it? I am the Lord. There is no other. <laughs> How often do we try to make another? Another person, another thing, another entity, another ideology, whatever it is, as Lord. There is no other. So good. All right. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. The Pharisees went off and plotted, plotted how they might entrap Jesus in speech. They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are a truthful man and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And you are not concerned with anyone's opinion, for you do not regard a person's status. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Knowing their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. They handed him the Roman coin. He said to them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? They replied, Caesar's. At that he said to them, Then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God, what belongs to God. My friends, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So again, if this were you, and you were preaching this word that we just heard, what do you see as the thread that goes between the first reading and the gospel. You know, they always do. And, and again, maybe I'm missing it. Maybe it's, it's, it's incredibly obvious. Maybe it's, it's, it's at a depth that I'm just not getting to. But to me, it's, it's kind of simple. That the thread that runs through it are the Gentile leaders that are central characters within it. Caesar within the gospel, right? I mean, front and center. But this character Cyrus in the first reading. Let's talk a little bit about Cyrus. Who is he? I mean, if we don't know Isaiah, if we're just like opening up and, and hey, we're hearing about uh, thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, we might think Cyrus is another prophet. Just didn't hear about him, you know, like Nathaniel or Samuel or what. Elijah, here he comes, is another prophet, guy by the name of Cyrus. There we go. You know, not at all. So, a little bit of history, because this is going to help open up what we're talking about here. Um, okay, Israel and Judah had been divided into two king, kingdoms after the reign of King Solomon. Israel was the kingdom of the north. Judah was the kingdom of the south, where Jerusalem was. Assyria, 721-ish, Chirka 721 or so. Assyria, figure modern-day um, Iran, no, that's not true, modern-day Iraq, uh, northern Iraq. Syria came and uh, absolutely destroyed the northern kingdom, wiped them out. Uh, and so if you ever hear of the ten lost tribes of, of Israel, that's it. Wiped them out, they were gone, done. Well, then about say 130-ish, give or take, years later, the Babylonians come to power. 
Babylon, that's southern Iraq, give or take. And southern Iraq, Babylon, takes over Assyria and then ultimately comes to Judah, the southern kingdom, right? And destroys some of them, but ultimately takes their leaders, takes their, the, the, I think they leave the elderly, the feeble um, behind, but basically take everybody else. And they take them back into what's called the Babylonian exile that was around, again, 586, give or take, um, years before uh, Christ was born, give or take, again, in that, in that time frame. Why is this important? Because for 47-ish years, the Jewish people are held in exile in another country far away, and those Babylonians had destroyed uh, the temple. And effectively, it questions their faith. Their, their faith. They wonder if God has left them because of their sin. They no longer are the chosen people. Or that, that you know, God is no longer um, amongst them as, as God was when the temple was present. And here they were in a foreign land. Enter Cyrus. Cyrus is the king of the Persians. That would be modern-day Iran. And around the year 539, Cyrus and the Persians attack and overcome the Babylonians. And Cyrus frees the Jewish people. Not only does Cyrus free the Jewish people, he gives them money, and he gives them all the artifacts that the Babylonians stole from the temple, and he gives them back to them, and he says, you need to go back to Jerusalem, and you need to rebuild the temple. So Cyrus is, is firmly behind them. Now, was Cyrus a, a Jewish um, convert? No, in no way, shape, or form. Which is why, if you, if you know, knowing what you know now, and we hear this reading, thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus. We, when we think of anointed, we do think of prophets or kings that, that are anointed, right? Um, David was anointed before he became king. But he knew he was anointed, and he knew that to which he was anointed. He knew what, what that was for and what that meant. It meant he was rising uh, up to the kingship of Israel. You know, if... if, if um, Samuel is anointed as prophet. He knows why he's being anointed. Cyrus was never, quote-unquote, anointed. But yet here God calls him, thus says the Lord, to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I grasp, subduing the nations before him and making kings run in his service, opening doors before him and leaving the gates unbarred. For the sake, why, why is God quote-unquote, and I'm putting this in, in, you know, quotation marks. Why is God using Cyrus? For the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. Remember, that just means the, the country of Israel. He's not talking about Jacob, the person. That's another name for all of Israel. And then again, he speaks, I have called you by your name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen one. For your sake, Israel, I have called Cyrus by name. And so he's speaking directly to Cyrus, giving you a title, though you knew me not. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. It is I who arm you, though you knew me and know me not. Brothers and sisters, here's the point, 
and I'll, I'll be quiet and I'll move on to the next reading. God can use anyone, anywhere, anytime, in whatever circumstance. Now, don't get me wrong. We have full free will. I do not understand fully how this all works, but I know, I, and this is why I love Cyrus. He's mentioned a couple of different times in Scripture, um, appropriately so, right? Help free the Jewish people and, and help them reclaim who they were and their very foundation in the temple. Um, but, but God can come through channels and through people and through avenues that we have no idea, that we do not see coming, and we think God cannot use them. But brothers and sisters, there is no one, no thing that God cannot use to bring about what? God's kingdom. Uh, for the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen one. Why? Why is this all happening? So Israel can be restored. Remember uh, Ezekiel, that wonderful story in the Valley of the Dry Bones, just dry bones everywhere, and then eventually, you know, um, the, the angel that leads him out there says, can these bones come to life? And he says, you know more than I. And ultimately, he watches those bones come to life. That is it. Brothers and sisters, if you are feeling in a place today where you are without life, or you are looking at our world right now, which we can all look at and say, it is, it is on the brink of, of destroying itself. There is no, I mean, there is no, um, how do I say it? I don't even know how to say it. There is nothing present which God cannot redeem through channels that we have no idea. No idea. Now, again, Cyrus, at some level, still had to say yes to whatever that plan was. And, and it may have been an unconscious one. It sounds like it because he didn't know God, he, whatever. But you know what? There are plenty of people of goodwill, if we can use that term. And, and goodness sakes, if popes can use it, we do. There are plenty of people of goodwill in this world who are open to the Spirit in ways, and they wouldn't call it the Spirit. They wouldn't call it God, whatever, that somehow are open to the good. And God can and does use them. Brothers and sisters, don't minimize God. Cyrus didn't. The Jewish people are are a people because of an outsider like that. Just maybe we sit back and wonder that God knew Cyrus's name and he knows your name and he calls us to something beyond that which we can even expect or hope for, and that others may come into our lives which we do not even see coming, but we are better for it. Uh, Let's thank the Cyruses in our life who have no idea that they were it, but without their yes, we would not be who we are. Skip ahead to the second reading, the gospel, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll bring it to a close. Again, this is a story you know really well, right? Cyrus was king of Persia and, and brought about the Jewish people. Syria, uh, Caesar, of course, is, is king of Rome, is, is the divine emperor, uh, so to speak, and um, is, uh, is center stage here. And so here we see a different play acting out. We see the disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians. 
two natural enemies, by the way, coming together because they see a third enemy they want to overcome, and that's Jesus, um, because they're worried that he might, you know, kind of take some of their power away or whatever it is. So they come before him and just syrupy sweet, right? They are just trying to flatter him and make sure that, that he's on their side. And then they stick the dagger in. And, and of course, they, they ask him an unanswerable question. Uh, is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Basically, if he says, yes, it is lawful, then he's a friend of Rome. And, uh, and nobody likes that. Uh, and to do so, you've got to have a, a Roman coin and you're, you're operating uh, with Roman money, which ultimately is um, uh, against what we would say the first or second commandment, depending on uh, if you are Catholic or Protestant, uh, because that would be an, an, uh, a false idol in a sense. Uh, and so anyway, if he answers yes, he's a friend of Rome and he's, he's operating with their idols. And if he answers no, then he's against Rome, right? And he's unlawful. And so he, he can't win. He can't win here. But of course, Jesus doesn't play on that level. He doesn't play their game. And so he traps them in their own pursuit. And he turns the table so brilliantly. And he says, listen, um, why are you testing me? He understands their malice. Meaning, again, Jesus knows what's going on in our hearts. He understands our malice. And he says, show me the coin that pays the census tax. And the Romans, or excuse me, the Romans, the Pharisees and the Herodians produce the coin. They're the ones carrying it. And the fact that they're carrying it incriminates them right away. They've got this uh, false idol. This, this, because on there it's the engraving, you know, the divine emperor Augustus Caesar or whatever. And, uh, and uh, Jews were forbidden to operate in that. It's why in the temple you had to exchange money. So you got uh, the Jewish money instead of working with Roman coin. Um, and so it shows that they're hypocrites. And, and again, so then he says, in whose image is this? Whose transcription and, and whose inscription? And they say Caesar's. And he has that brilliant line. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. So what are we to make of that? I, I mean, really, brothers and sisters, it invites us to say, um, who is it that we um, pledge our allegiance to? Can I use that term? Uh, every one of us, I suspect, whether it's at this point right now, immediately, or some other point during the day, had money in our pockets with some other inscription on it. Um, so should we really look down at the Pharisees or the Rhodians here? Because we do it too. I mean, really, Jesus is just making a point. What... Where does our, our ultimate allegiance lie? In whose image are we shaping our lives and our outer activities? And our, well, I don't just want to say our outer activities, our very self. In whose image is that? Is it in the image of the world? Whether it's the leaders or, or uh, Caesar. And when I say the world, I, I'm not saying the world I'm saying the ways of the world. Or is it in the ways of the kingdom of God? 
Jesus invites us to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Well, ultimately, you know this. Every one of us are created in the image and likeness of God. And what Jesus is doing is saying, listen, we're not meant to be icons of the world, of the ways of the world, of, of what power and control looks like there, and, and giving our allegiance to these systems. We are meant to give our allegiance to the very thing in whose image we are created, which is God. And so while this is incredible, Jesus at his debating best, and this line is something that we know and we can you know, quote anytime, anywhere, really what he's inviting us to is saying, in what image are we today allowing ourselves to be shaped and molded into? Into what image would that be? And that's, that's a decision we have to make every day. What is it we carry, not just in our pocket, but in our very heart, in our being? And how do we allow that uh, to be what we produce when people ask us, whose image, whose inscription do you carry? Let's pray. And so we uh, begin our prayer, as always, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The fourth glorious mystery, Mary is assumed into heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My friends, bless you. Have the best of weeks. And may you be filled with every good blessing. Be well, and God's peace.